in today, chapter 4, when you get there, find verse 1. I thought I would keep you in suspense and not putting the bulletin this week so that you couldn't cheat and try to fill out the blanks early. So, uh, not really, I just forgot, that's all. We're looking at the seven false prophets the church faces in all times and in all places. Um, and this is our part three, the third part of the three-part three series. So, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul's writing to this young man named Timothy. At the time, he was a young man, getting started out in the church. It says, In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Father, this morning we come before you, Father, because we want to hear from you. Father, we want your spirit to speak through your word to us. And Father, I am not enough of a voice to speak in your place. I want you to use me this morning, Father, for your glory and for the good of your people. And Lord, I don't want to be a tickler. I don't want to be a false prophet in any way. I want to just simply let your word speak and let you use me to instruct us as a church and as your people on how you would have us live and follow you. And also, Father, we would desire very much, we would ask very much for you to work in someone's heart and life here today and maybe next week or whenever, that you would draw them to yourself, to your son, that your son would save them through his blood and through his resurrection. And Father, today as we work our way through the message and we come to the Lord's Supper time, we pray that you would especially speak to us as we eat the bread and prepare to drink the cup, that, that God would do so with a clean heart and conscience. That we take time, Lord, today, this morning to speak to you personally about our own walk and that we clean ourselves, allow you to clean us, Father, uh, before we take the Lord's Supper. Lord, what an honor it is and privilege it is to, to belong to you and to, to preach your word. I pray, God, that I honor that I honor you and that I glorify you most of all. And I pray, God, that also that your church is strengthened by the preaching of your word in this church. Thank you, Father, for this honor. Lord, use us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last two weeks, we've looked at six of the seven false prophets that uh, the church faces in all times and all places. You don't have to be in America to find these false prophets. You can be in Europe or Asia or Africa or wherever, and you go to a church and you could possibly find one of these false prophets. They are the heretic, remember? The heretic teaches false doctrine. This charlatan who is a fraud, the false prophet who says that he has a fresh word from God and the abuser who abuses the church for his own self-gratification, the divider who comes in and divides people up into groups and tries to separate people, and then there's the speculator, the one who's trying to make money off the church in various different ways. Today we're talking about, we're going to learn about the seventh false prophet from 2 Timothy chapter 4. He is the tickler, the tickler. All these false prophets do great damage to the body of Christ. Uh, they hinder the work of God on earth. They turn people away from seeking God. They forsake salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Many of them say, well, there's other ways to be saved. You can be good enough. You can just be good enough and God will take care of that. 
And they also seek about, teach about other different ideas. They're all, each in their own way, spiritually dangerous, but I believe the tickler is the most dangerous one of all. The most spiritually dangerous of them all is the tickler. The tickler strives to make people comfortable in their sin. You'll know that by the way they preach and how what they talk about and how they talk about things. They might open the Bible up for a bit, but they won't talk about it in depth. They'll talk about feelings or they'll talk about anything else other than what the Scripture says. And they'll never ever say this such and such is sin. <clears throat> And they'll just simply leave people in their sin. They'll make them comfortable in their sin. The tickler discovers what people want to hear about spiritual things, and he tells them those things. He gives it to them. The tickler also discovers what turns people off, what they don't want to hear about spiritual things, and he won't go there. He won't talk about those things. They're too politically correct. They're too sensitive to talk about. But by doing that, the tickler interferes with the work of the Holy Spirit in this, in this world. And the tickler is very active in the church in America today. Very active. Amos 8, verse 11 might be coming true today, I think, in, a, in the culture here that we live in. Amos 8, verse 11 says, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Maybe God is saying, I'm just going to let people go hungry for a while. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered what happened? Billy Graham kind of got older, as all people do, and he wasn't quite able to get around as well. Eventually he did pass away, but where's the next Billy Graham? Maybe God is saying, Amos 8, verse 11. Maybe he's saying, I'm going to let people go hungry for a little while. So that maybe when they hear the truth, They'll respond, and I can feed them, and I can spiritually give them water to quake their thirst. Beware of the, the tickler, my friends. Beware of the tickler. Watch out for the people who will leave you in your sin, who will not give you another alternative to your sin. He will not stick to preaching the Word of God. He won't stick to those things. Point number one on your outline this morning is this. Preaching God's Word must take priority. And when I say that, I mean in the church and in worship. Preaching God's word must take priority. Look at verse 1 and 2. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Paul did something here in 2 Timothy 4 that I haven't seen him do in any of his other letters. He invoked the very presence of the sovereign God and of the Lord Jesus Christ when he challenged T Timothy to preach the word in the presence of God, he says, and of Christ Jesus. He's never done that anywhere else. He does that because he's trying to catch Timothy's attention. And he knows what we ought to know, that we're here right now, gathered here, and God is here with us because we're worshiping God and Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there. And so God and Christ are here. So I better preach the word. Amen? That's right, because God's here and he's going to judge me for it if I don't. Does your Bible have a capital W in the word? Look on your, in your Bible. Do you have a capital W? Amen? 
Do you have a capital W in your scripture, in your Bible? Anybody? Is it, is it capital W or just a W? It's capital W. That's right. It should have a capital W. Paul is referring to God's word. That's why it has a capital W there. It's not a small word, man's word. It's God's word. Paul was telling Timothy, when you speak about spiritual truths, be sure you stick to preaching God's word, not man's word. Why did God give us the Bible if he didn't want us to focus on it in worship? If he didn't want people to preach on it, men to preach on it in worship? Why would he? Why bother giving it? Why not just have it orally translated or tra transposed every year to, to the next generation, I mean? Why not just pass it on orally? No, he wrote it down so we would have it exactly the way God wanted it. And we're supposed to preach to that. We're supposed to stick to preaching God's Word, not the world's Word. Preaching God's Word must take priority over songs, over the offering, over the prayers that are prayed, over jokes, or skits, or videos. For 2,000 years, since the beginning of the church, Christian worship has always centered on the preaching of God's Word. It's always been that way. And just because it's always been that way doesn't mean that's the way it's supposed to be, but it's always been that way because that's the way God intended it to be. Preaching God's Word. All the other elements in the worship service, the songs we sing, the offering, the prayers, they're all important. They're all important. The Bible tells us we're supposed to sing a new song. We're supposed to sing to the Lord. We're supposed to bring an offering. We're supposed to make prayers. We're supposed to say our prayers to God in worship. The Bible tells us to do all those things in worship, but the preaching of God's Word is the most important element of all. And it's not because of the preacher, it's because of God. Amen. Preaching God's Word in worship should also always include the Gospel in some way. Why does a Christian preach? Because he wants to talk about Jesus. Or he should, right? Doesn't the church want to hear about Jesus on Sunday? Amen, I do. Yeah. Paul tells us why this is so important, the preaching of God's Word. In Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. So when the Word is being preached, God is working through the preacher using His Word and working with the Spirit in your hearts and lives as you listen. And a, and a righteousness is being revealed that can't be revealed any other way except through gospel preaching. Yeah. That's why Paul also said this to Timothy in verse 2. Look at verse 2 again. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You see, you're not supposed to, the preacher's not just supposed to throw a few words down and call it good. He's supposed to really go in and study what God laid on his heart to preach. He's supposed to know what he's supposed to be talking about. He's supposed to be hearing from God as he prepares the message. That's why it should take a little bit of time to prepare a message. You know? And it's not like a recipe you pull out of a book and say, well, I'll do that. It's got to be something God lays on your heart. It's got to be something that, that God wants His people to hear from you, from the preacher. That's why with great patience, careful instruction. 
Not only am I to instruct you, but God is supposed to instruct me first. And even right now, God is teaching me as well. Did you know also that preaching has seasons? We don't think about it this way. And we don't really talk about it much this way, but preaching has seasons. We're in the fall season here in Kansas, right? Corn's being cut, maybe already cut. Beans are going to be cut pretty soon. Wheat's already been cut for a long time. But we're in the fall season, and fall is the time to harvest, right? We don't plant in the fall. We harvest in the fall. We prepare the soil for next year's planting. And preaching is kind of a lot, a lot like farming in many ways. We preach to plant seeds of salvation. So we preach with the idea on some Sundays to plant the seed, to plant that seed, to get it going. We preach to water those seeds with God's truth. We want to water that, increase interest, allow God to work more and more. We're watering it. And we hope that God blesses so we can preach and harvest souls for the kingdom. And it's not the man's kingdom, it's God's kingdom, right? Because God God didn't send his son for, for my kingdom. He sent his son for his own kingdom. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, do not say, do you say, I'm sorry, do you not say, Four more months, and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. That's the way we have to look at things. We want to preach to sow the seed of the gospel. We want to preach the God's word so that we water those seeds. And then we want to preach in order to harvest the soul. souls. The tickler preaches for a different kind of harvest. He preaches for numbers sake. Not that there's anything wrong with numbers. We should want lots of people to come to saving faith in Christ. We should want this church to be full. We should want to have two or three services on Sunday, right? Amen? Yeah, we should want to see people coming to saving faith because of Jesus. But the tickler preaches for numbers' sake because for him, more people often means more money. The tickler likes to be popular. That's what the ticklers like the most. They like to be popular. They like having a large following. Look again at verse 1. He talks about two truths in the Bible that, that he really emphasizes. The Bible emphasizes this. Back in verse, verse 1, he says, In the presence of God, Christ Jesus, who will judge what? The living and the dead in view of his appearing and his kingdom. The living, He will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing of his kingdom. Why should the word of God be preached? Why should we be so obsessed with that? Because someday God is going to judge everyone, the living and the dead. Someday the trumpet will call. Someday the dead will be raised up and those alive at that moment will be caught up. So he will judge the living and the dead. And someday Jesus will appear in this world again. And his kingdom will fully be realized, completely realized at that moment. And shouldn't we want people to be ready for that day? Shouldn't we, amen? Want people more and more people to be ready of all different ages, of all different nationalities, skin colors, whoever, rich, poor, we don't care. We should want people to be ready for that day to prepare people for the Lord. That's what John the Baptist said. He said, I've come to prepare people for the Lord. But point number two on your outline this morning, preaching the word will not always be accepted. Isn't that sad? 
Preaching the word will not always be accepted. Verse 3, for the time will come when men will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I think that's where we are right now in America today. People are gathering around celebrity pastors because they want to hear what they want to hear. God's word isn't enough for some people. Paul said men will not put up with sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Doctrine is a rule of truth. Doctrine is all over the world. It's in all kinds of organizations. Did you know that there is a military, it's called a war doctrine. The military has something called the war doctrine, where this is how they are going to operate in war. Well, the church has doctrine too. And for the church, doctrine is core beliefs. The beliefs that make us Christians. Christian doctrine is what makes Christianity Christianity. It divides us from the Muslim. It divides us from the Buddhists. It divides us from the Universalists. It divides us from Unitarians. It divides, it divides us from Mormons. Christian doctrine is what makes Christianity Christianity. Here's a core doctrine. One, just one, or actually combined two. Here's a core doctrine of the Christian faith. Sin is not just a concept or an idea. It's a real human condition. Sin is a core doctrine of the Christian faith. Romans 3.23, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God. And labeling sin behavior, behaviors as good doesn't make sin good. Now, our world doesn't buy into that, but the truth is labeling something good doesn't make it good. God has already determined what behavior is sin and what isn't. So he doesn't need us or anybody here on earth, planet earth, to tell him what is sin and what is not sin. And yet our world, our culture in America today is beginning to do that. And we should be very, very wary of that. Particularly we'll take the behavior that the world loves and say it isn't sin. Particularly will we'll change or corrupt the word of God. That people, so that people aren't driven away by the blunt, honest truth of the scriptures. The tickler leaves people in their sin. In the sin that Jesus was sent to save them from. The sin that he saved me from. Here's a warning though. Romans 2 verse 7 and 8. To those who, who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he'll give eternal life. Sounds great, right? So we should seek to do good. We should seek and persist to seek glory, God's glory and honor. And, and we should seek immortality, right? Through Christ. For He's the only way. He's the door. He's the gate. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So a warning there. Pursue the good. Forsake the bad. Paul also said that people go to the tickler to suit their own desires. People don't like being told they're sinners. Did you? At some point I did. At some point I came to the realization, yeah, I am a sinner, so I need to deal with it. When God convicted me of that, I'm glad that he did. But for a while, I didn't want to hear that. I'm just living my life. I'm going to live my life, and no one's going to tell me how I'm going to live my life. Well, God changed all of that. In particular, he'll just leave people in their sin because they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with their problems. The ticker will affirm them in their sin, comfort them in their sin, 
enable them in their sin. And all the time, their sin is all, their sin problem is right there, rotting away their spirit. Isn't that sad? I feel sorry for unbelievers. I feel sorry for people who don't know Christ. I mean, not sorry in a sense of looking down on them, sorry, but I wish that they would just simply let God speak to them. Open their ears. And I pray God does that. But Tickler will tell them, you're okay. You're okay. God loves you. He made you the way you are, so you're okay. God will love you no matter what you do. I wonder how many people hearing those words in their ears as they died realize how much of a lie all those words are. I wonder how many people died going to hell and heard those words and realized those were all lies. Because now I'm stuck. Here's something I believe in the Bible. Sin is real. Sin is real and it's really bad. I get that from my own experience. So is heaven. Heaven is real and it's really great. And hell is real and it's terrible and awful. And I really don't want anyone going there. But all of us are going to go to one of those two places. We're either going to die and go to heaven or we're going to die and go to hell. When Jesus comes back, someplace, somewhere we're going, somewhere. And I also believe God loves people. I truly do. I really do. If he can love me, he can love just about anybody, right? I believe God loves people. God loves people so much he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save us from our sin. And without Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're doomed. Isn't that true? Amen? Yeah, we're doomed. We're bound for hell. Now, there's a lot more to Christian doctrine, but those beliefs, those ideas there, deal with every person's relationship with God. And you can ignore them if you want to. You can ignore your sin. You can ignore the fact you're, you're going to die and go to hell without Jesus. You can ignore all, ignore all of that, but if, you, but if you do, just remember this. God doesn't. He won't ignore it. He will never ignore His Word. Paul also said people will gather around them a number of teachers, a great number of teachers, to say what their itching ears want to hear. It's easy to become bored with routine, isn't it? Anybody ever worked in a factory? Anybody ever done factory work? I've done factory work. Line work. Anna and I met in a pizza factory. Of all places, a pizza factory. You know how many pizzas we made in a day, in a shift? I think thousands. Thousands of those little bitty pizzas, sometimes the little big ones, but mainly the little bitty ones, and thousands of them running by, just flashing by. It was a routine. It got boring after a while. Building airplanes got boring after a while, too, because you came in and did the same basic thing every day. So I understand being bored with routine. I get that. And churches can be very routine regimented. We tend to do the same thing when we come here every Sunday, don't we? We come in, we sit down, we talk. We sing a song, we greet each other real quick before the piano starts to play, and then we sing three more songs, and I get up and speak. We give an offering. But you know, uh, worship is about more than just singing songs in order or telling stories or talking about the Bible. It's about praising God. It really is. It's about praising God. It's about drawing near to God and letting God draw near to you, especially today as we celebrate our salvation at the Lord's table. You see, only saved people can celebrate the Lord's table. Unbelievers can't. 
And they can. We won't stop you, but we don't. I would advise you not to do that. And there's nothing wrong with feeling good after Sunday worship. I, I would rather you did feel good. That you dealt with your problem with God here while we're here. And you left your feeling good because you dealt with it. You spoke to God and God spoke to you. There's nothing wrong with feeling good after worship or a Bible study or quiet time. God is not a cosmic killjoy. He doesn't want to just drown you in bad things. But he does want to deal with our problems. He is a truth teller. And his men, his preachers, ought to be truth tellers too, right? Amen. Don't you want the truth? You should. You see, point number three, preaching the word should be about God, about Jesus Christ, and about life. It should be about God, about Christ, and about life. Right? Look at verse four. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. You know what myths are? Lies. It's all myths are is lies. Stories made up and they're lies. They're not true. Fiction. Preaching isn't about being accepted as a speaker or being relevant for the sake of relevancy. God's word is always relevant, no matter who speaks, no matter how good of a speaker he is or how bad he is. It's always applicable. God's word is always applicable, no matter how well trained that preacher is or not. God's word is God's word. And if the preacher will stick to that, everything will be okay. Preaching should always be about God because it's his word. That's what Paul tells him. He says, Preach the word. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, you judge the living and the dead. In view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. God's word. And it ought to be about Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. He came to this world for one purpose, to save sinners. And it should be about life. Because God is the creator. And he wants to give us new life, an eternal life. In John 8, verse 31, to the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you really are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's what we want for people. We want them to be spiritually freed by God's truth. Life without God is meaningless. I've been there and done that. It's meaningless. He is the creator of all life, so he is the center of life. He's the focus of life. Life without Jesus Christ is hopeless. I've been there and done that. Jesus Christ is the answer to whatever it is that's overwhelming you. I've discovered that for myself. That's keeping you from the life you were created for. Did you know you were created to live a life that's unique to you? And you can't have that unique life until you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. It won't happen. You can go to college. You can join the military. You can get millions of dollars in the bank. But if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, Life will be meaningless. You remember what Jesus said about life? John 10, 10, he said, For the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life to the full. That's Jesus speaking. He came so that we could have a full life, the life we were created to have. And lastly, preaching the word is about proclaiming, saving faith that only Jesus Christ can provide. You can't find the saving faith in your bank account. No matter how much money you give the church, it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough for you to do good things alone. You cannot pay off your balance with God through good works. It only happens through faith in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can provide you a saving faith. Romans 10:17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard 
through the word of Christ. The word of Christ, the Bible, again. Seven false prophets the church faces in every time and every place. Doesn't matter where you find them. Doesn't matter where you go. They're there. Watch out for them. Beware of them. Our invitation to song today is only trust him, meaning Jesus Christ. You can only trust Jesus Christ with your eternal destiny. He's the only one. And there is no one else. Doesn't matter. So trust him. Follow him. Follow him in today, in this life today, until you go to be with him in the next. Let's stand as we get ready to sing, okay? Maybe today you're leaning on that idea that I need to trust in Jesus Christ.